Good morning. How's everybody doing? And I want to begin this morning by having us take a look at a passage from the book of Jimmy. And some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, I didn't realize there's a book of Jimmy in the Bible. It's the book of James. The book of James. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Who knew that Jesus had a brother named Jimmy? So here we go. James chapter 3, verse 18, if you're following from home. James writes this, Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, and they will reap a harvest of goodness. I'd like to talk for a few moments this morning about how you and I can become peacemakers, how you and I can begin to de-escalate conflictive and intense situations. And folks, as Jesus followers, every single one of us here this morning that has placed our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, we are all called to be peacemakers. It's part of what we're called to do. Again, as we all know, there's a lot of conflict that is taking place currently in our world. A lot of tense feelings. Emotions are raised. And so this morning, I want us to consider some biblical truths, some biblical practicalities um, that can help us de-escalate a tense and conflicting situation. And folks, one of the most important skills that you and I can learn how to do in life is how to de-escalate a conflict. And conflict is inevitable. Conflict is an inevitable part of life. How many of you here are married? How many of you have ever had conflict in your marriage? Right. Conflict. If you're, if you're married, you are going to have conflict sometimes in your marriage. If you have kids, you are going to have conflict with your kids. There is conflict in friendships. You're going to have conflict in the workplace. There's conflict at school. There's conflict that takes place in the church. And if you and I do not know how to do this, this important skill of de-escalating a conflict, then your life and my life is going to be absolutely miserable. And the reason for that is because we are all different. God created us all to be different. You have different life experiences. There are certain things about the world that you see differently than I do and the people that you are sitting around. We all have different life experiences and since that we are all different, one of the things that that means is that we are going to find ourselves in conflict with another person at some point or another. And for a lot of us here, in fact, I would even say for the majority of people, most of us were not taught the skill of how to de-escalate a tense situation by our parents. I know that I wasn't. To be honest with you, my parents were horrible. Horrible at this. Janet's over there laughing because she knows my mom and dad. And you know what? My mom and dad would tell you the exact same thing. They would tell you that they were horrible at de-escalating a conflict. And the reason for that is because no one taught them how to de-escalate a conflict. And my guess would be this. is The same is true for many of you and for your family. This is just stuff that we're not really taught. And so, again, what I want to do is I want us to consider, we're going to consider five biblical practicalities, five biblical practices 
that you and I can engage in, begin to put into practice when we find ourselves in a tense situation that will help de-escalate the conflict. And folks, there's a lot more than five that we could get into, but as, as we all know, we only have a certain amount of time that we're allowed to meet. So I, I feel that these five things that we're going to look at, they're very core, very core. But before we do that, let me first do this. Let me tell you two things that peacemaking is not. Two things that peacemaking is not. If you're watching online, maybe you want to type this in in the comments section below. And here it is. Peacemaking is not avoiding, and peacemaking is not appeasing. Let me repeat that. Peacemaking is not avoiding, and peacemaking is not appeasing. Some people think that, well, you know, if I keep the peace in my marriage, if I want to do that, if I want to keep the peace in my marriage or my relationships, well, then I, I just need to avoid things. I need to avoid the difficult conversations. I need to avoid these things. I don't want to rock the boat. I just want to, you know, I'm just going to keep going and just sweeping this, this, these things under the rug. I'm just going to grin and bear it. Folks, that's not peacemaking. Avoiding things does not help at all. Peacemaking is not about running away from a problem. So peacemaking is not avoiding. Peacemaking is also not about appeasing. And appeasing, when I say that, I mean this. It means that I always give in. Whenever I'm in a tense situation with someone, whenever I'm in a conflict, whoever that person may be, I just let them always have their way in that situation. It's peace at any price. And, and folks, appeasement... Just like avoidance, it is not peacemaking. Uh, appeasement in this situation, I would call that codependency. To where you just allow the other person that you are in a disagreement with or an argument with to always have their way in regards to the disagreement. Folks, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, he never ran from a legitimate conflict. But rather, Jesus, he knew how to diffuse a conflict and to restore relationships. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and, and again, we're going to look at five things, five core biblical principles and practices that you and I can put into practice that will help de-escalate a conflict, that will help settle and bring down tensions when they're high, or when emotions are, are, are running amongst. So five things. If you're at home, maybe you want to write these down. The first thing that we can do is lower our voice. Everybody say, lower my voice. Some of you may know this, but study after study shows that when it comes to communication, while words matter, what you say to another person, the words that you say to them in a conflict, yes, it is definitely important, but study after study shows that the way we say those words, how we communicate those words, our tone of voice with those words actually plays a bigger influence 
an impact than the actual words that we are speaking, you know, to the other person. By way of example, I'm sure you have a good example of this is Siri. How many of you have heard those goofy recorded robotic voices that you hear and how goofy they sound when they try to communicate normal human communication? I am angry. I am mad at you. Stay away from me. That sounds silly. The, the context is there, or the content is there, but it doesn't seem to communicate very much. But if I were yelling at you, if I was screaming, and if I were yelling at you, a good chance I'm going to be communicating something very clear to you, and what I'm communicating to you very much is probably going to be that I am being very insensitive, and I am being very aggressive, and that I am being very disrespectful towards you if I start yelling and screaming at you. So again, in a conflict, lower your voice. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says this, a gentle person's anger, but harsh words stir up intense fury. And folks, I think we know this to be true. You, you don't have to answer this out loud, but how many of you have found out whenever you've been in an argument or a conflict with somebody, when you get loud towards the other person, they have a tendency to get loud back with you. Right? The louder that I get, the louder the other person gets in a conflict, and uh-oh, it starts to escalate. And if we're not careful, the escalation can go beyond raised voices. I shout and yell at you, you yell and shout back at me. I insult you, you insult me back. I push you, you push me back. And then, uh-oh, maybe we come to fisticuffs. It begins to escalate. And folks, one of the, the reasons why this, one of the reasons why it's good for us to lower our voices in any kind of conflict that we find ourselves in is because of this right here. What's up here? Your brain. Some of you are probably thinking, Todd, in your case, probably nothing's up there when you point at that. But I assure you, I have a brain, too. And folks, your brain and my brain doesn't operate at the same level all the time in every single circumstance. For example, the cortex part of your brain, that is the part of your brain that, that allows for speech to take place. That's the part of your brain where it has the capacity for strategizing, for, for rationalizing, and for reasoning. When you're using your cortex, that part of your brain, you're thinking pretty smart. Again, that is the higher level portion of your brain. But when you and I start to get fearful, when you and I start to get mad, when we start to get angry, we start to move from the higher level portion of our brain, our cortex, down into the lower portion known as the limbic portion. Everybody say limbic. I really actually like the word that sounds. It, it, it just kind of rolls off your tongue really nicely. Limbic. In the limbic part of your brain, folks, 
It's just instinctual. The limbic part, right back through here, it's the part where your instinct takes place. And so whenever you and I move into the limbic part of our brains, you know what? We're not thinking straight anymore. In fact, I would say we're thinking pretty dumb. We're thinking pretty dumb when we move to that place. And folks, this is why, this is why when you find yourself in an argument and you start to move down to that part of your brain, that's when the name calling comes in. That, that's when you say and do goofy stuff that makes no sense, has no rationality at all, and that's when you say and do things that you're later going to regret. Why? Because you are now in the limbic, instinctual part of your brain. And so again, anytime when you and I, when we find ourselves getting in an argument, and we start to get angrier, and we start to get angrier, and things start to escalate, we move from up here down to here, and you and I, we're just not thinking smart anymore. In fact, I'll say this, if you're watching online, how about typing this in in the comment sections below. The more I raise my voice, the more I lower my intelligence. Let me say that again. The more I raise my voice, the more I lower my intelligence. Because again, when you and I, when we're screaming, I, 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 we've moved from this really smart portion of our brain down into the limbic lower portion, not so smart part of our brain, that instinctual fight or flight part of our brain. Ecclesiastes 9.17 says this. It says, the quiet words of a wise person are more effective than the shouting of a leader of fools. Again, shouting means I've moved out of the higher level of thinking down into the lower level of my brain where thinking does not take place. I'm just acting on instinct. Fight or flight. So folks, a good starting point for us in de-escalating a conflict is to lower your voice, to lower is to breathe and to slow down the pace of speaking. We know this. When we're angry, our body changes. When we get angry, what happens? Our, our heart rate starts to get like this. Our, our, our blood pressure starts to go up. When you get angry, your, your breathing gets quicker and, and, and it gets shallower. And one of the ways that you and I can calm our body and reduce anger is to begin to slow and to deepen our breathing. In fact, let's practice this right now. Very simple. Deep breath. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. I'm calm already, feeling relaxed. But when you start to feel your, yourself to, to lose control or to get angry, a good simple thing to do that can help calm down the situation is again to, to breathe, take deep breaths. And as you start to breathe in, 
and then breathe out, your heart rate starts to slow down, your blood pressure begins to decrease, and as a result of this, you then can now start to not speak or fire off a bunch of words. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when, when you get into an argument, even though if what you're saying, you're, you're not shouting, but you're, you're, you're just throwing all these different things out. And this will help to slow down your speech. And folks, that's a good thing, because if I'm in a conflict with you, and I'm just rattling things off like a machine gun, chances are, one, I'm not going to be able to understand what it is you're saying. And you're probably not going to be able to understand what it is I'm saying. And at the same time, when somebody comes up to you or me and they're just, ah, blah, 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 we have a tendency to go on the defensive. We get ourselves in a defense mode. Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his anger. In other words, they just let it go. They just, blah, they vomit out. The wise man calms it down. How do you calm down your anger when a conflict is escalating in your home or at your work or in a protest line? The author of Proverbs tells us by biding our time. A wise man once said that when you get angry, count to ten. And when you get really angry, count to a hundred. And folks, this is true. Because by biding your time, you will actually calm down. So you want to lower your voice, you want to breathe, you want to slow down your speech when you begin to lose your cool. And then thirdly, here's another thing that we can do to begin to de-escalate a situation is that we listen more than we talk. Right? Whenever we find ourselves in a conflict, I'm not going to ask any of you guys to confess. I'll go ahead and confess for all of us here. But whenever we find ourselves in a conflict with someone, generally what we're doing, if we're honest, we're not really listening to what the other person is saying to us. What we're doing is we're already thinking about how we're going to retort. We're already thinking about how we're going to respond back to them. Oh man, when they finish saying what they're going to say, I am going to give them a good piece of my mind. I am going to let them have it. Or we're trying to figure out a way to be able to defend ourselves as opposed to actually listening to what it is that they're trying to say to us. Right? So much of our conflicts could be resolved if we simply listened more and talked less. James chapter 1 verse 19 says this, we know this one, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If we do the first two things that James mentions in this passage, the third is going to be automatic. Right? If we're quick to listen, if we're slow to speak, 
then you and I, in a very good, real, possible, more than likely way, we are going to be slow to get angry. But if we're honest, what we do most of the time is we do this completely the opposite way. We do it backwards, right? We're, we're quick to speak. We're slow to listen. And as a result, we're quick to get angry. But the Bible tells us to slow down and, and to listen. Proverbs 13, verse 10. I like the way the message version puts it. Says this, arrogant know-it-alls stir up discord. In, in other words, if you think you already know what your spouse or your friend is going to say before they actually finish it, or if you already think that you understand what it is that they're trying to communicate without listening first, then the Bible says that that's pride, that that's arrogance. And folks, in, in another portion of James, uh, James, the book of James, he talks about what causes quarrels among you. And he talks about it being pride. Pride and arrogance are, are, are the two core issues that cause most uh, of our conflicts in life. But he goes on to say, the author of Proverbs says, that wise men and women listen to each other's counsel. So the Bible tells us to put aside our pride, to put aside our arrogance, and to listen. And as we're listening, we need to listen for something very specific, which brings us to number four. And it's this. As we're listening, listen for the hurt behind the words. Listen for the mood behind the words. If you and I can do this, we're really going to make serious progress in our relationships. We need to stop just listening to the words and to start zeroing in and focusing on more on the emotions in the mood behind the words. Because what they're saying is not nearly as important as the emotion that they are communicating with those words. Right? A person may be saying to you, you think they're angry, but they're really afraid. They may not be saying, hey, I'm afraid, that's why I'm acting this way right now, but they may genuinely be afraid. Or, or maybe they're depressed. Or, or maybe they're anxious or jealous or, or frustrated. So you and I, we need to look for the hurt behind the words. Again, so many times whenever we face ourselves and we find ourselves in an argument, we fight over the words, but many times it's the emotions that are the real issue that is going on behind the words. So, so look for the hurt behind the words and what they're saying in this. And when you do that, when we do that, we have a tendency on our end of things to become less defensive. Right? If you come at me in anger, and all I'm focusing on is what appears to be your anger, and if that's what I focus on, but then I realize, you know what? The real issue here is not so much that they're angry, they're just frustrated. Or, or, or you're afraid. And if I can begin to do that and to see the deeper, the more core emotion that is taking place, I'm probably going to cut you some slack because I can understand fear and frustration better than I can anger. Proverbs 14.10 says this, Each heart knows 
its own bitterness. In other words, every heart has a hidden hurt. Every heart has a hidden wound. Every heart has a hidden pain. There's an old story about two men. And one of the men says to the other man, he says, are you my friend? And the man says, yes, I am. I am your friend. Are you my friend for life? Yes, I, I, I'm your friend for life. And then the man says, well, then tell me where it is that I hurt. Because if you're really someone's friends, you're going to know those deep things. You're going to know that part about who they are and where they're hurting, where they're scared, where they're fearful, where they're anxious. So each heart knows its own bitterness. We need to listen to the emotion. We need to listen to the pain more so than the words that are actually being communicated with us. And then here's the fifth thing that we need to consider is this, is that when you find yourself in a conflict, a tense situation, try to see the other person's perspective. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Try to understand their perspective. And folks, we know this. We know that currently we're living in a day and time where people are on all sort of different sides of the argument. It seems like we're becoming more and more marginalized, more and more pushed to the side as opposed to trying to come together and finding common ground. And all a lot of people can see is only their side of things. They can only see how they feel, what they think in, in regards to that. And folks, this is happening all over America. This is happening all over the world. Right? All I can see is my side of things. I can't see how other people are afraid. I can't see how other people are hurting. I can't see the injustice that other people have faced. All I can see is how I feel and what I think in this moment and in this time. Paul says, don't just look at your own interests, but also be interested in the interests the interest of others. And then Paul says, your attitude should be the same as Jesus. Folks, I am by nature a self-centered person. And guess what? You all are too. By nature, we are typically self-centered person to where we, we are most of the time interested in what we're going through, what we think, what we feel, more so than what other people are going through. want to. Only Jesus Christ can change my perspective. Only Jesus can cause me to be interested in what you have been through, what you are going through, what you think, what you feel, what you need. Only Jesus can cause me to be as interested in your background as I am in my own. Only Jesus can cause our heart 
to be in such a way that we would go through life to where it's not just about us, but we are genuinely trying to place and to put ourselves and to consider the interests of other people. And I know some of us are probably thinking right about now, well, what about my interests? When do I get to share my thoughts? That's a great question. But for our time here this morning, I'm not going to focus on that. But I will say this, is that if you and I, if we start to put these five things into practices, or practice when we find ourselves in a conflict, to where one, we begin to lower our voice, to number two, to where we begin to breathe and slow down our speech, to where we begin to listen more. If you do that, if I do that, the person that I am in conflict with, when it comes time for me to share my side of the situation, they are probably going to be much more receptive to hear what it is of my situation and how I'm feeling in that. And the reason for that is this, is because when we start to put these five things into practice, we're doing what James told us to do at the very first scripture that we looked at. When we do these five things, we are actually sowing seeds of peace. And we are actually showing ourselves to be the peacemakers that God has called us to be. So with that, let's pray. Have the worship team come back up. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we pray for our world right now. Again, there's so much conflict. There's so much division that's taking place. Holy Spirit, we pray right now for our leaders, governors, mayors, people that have authority and power. Father, we pray that these five things that we just looked at, I just pray, Father, as, as we try to navigate, as they try to navigate through all the conflict that's taking place, all the division, Father, I pray that you would help the voices not to be silent, but to lower them into a respectful way. Father, we pray that you would help people to breathe and, and to slow down what it is that they're trying to communicate. Father, we pray that you would help our leaders to be able to listen uh, to the voices of others more than they are trying to speak. We pray that you would help them to listen to the hurt and to the emotions behind such words. And Father, we also pray that you would help them to listen to the other perspective of other people. And I pray that for everybody, everybody. If we learned how to do these five things with each other when we find conflict, I truly believe that at that point that we're actually sowing seeds of peace. Help us as your people. Help us to be the peacemakers that you've called us to be. Father, help us to sow these seeds in our own relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, in our friendships, in our church. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. But Father, help us to put these things into practice. And Father, again, as we do so, I pray that, again, as we sow these seeds of peace, as Jane said, I pray that we would reap a harvest of goodness in our own lives, our marriages, our families, our churches, Father, we also pray for a harvest of goodness 
in our nation and in our country. Pour out on us, Lord, your amazing grace that has saved us and also keeps us and holds us to the very end. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, Lord Jesus, on earth as it is in heaven. We love you and we thank you and we pray and we ask these things in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.